0: back to another episode of is fits happy my i'm luke and i'm emma In mid saying i my name is and i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm i'm luke <laughs> well, and this
1: my is, my emma,
0: my emma. <laughs> this is uh, part two of the uh, chapter 26 compromises so,
1: and what a compromise it is because we've had to do another two-part chapter <laughs> yes
0: i know i know but there was a lot of uh, perspectives in this one. so
1: Yeah, we had a lot of thoughts, I guess. Yeah.
0: All right. We'll just dive right back in where we left off. And we jump over to Janie's point of view. Janie Kupras.
1: Yeah. So a lot of jumping around.
0: Hmm. But touching on some of the similar topics, actually.
1: <laughs> Lots of compromise, I guess you could say. Oh,
0: yes. <laughs> Almost like it's the title. Well, this is a conversation between the... Current and upcoming heads of the Cooper's family. Janie is here, the older brother Bendir, and Rain. And they're discussing, you know, the future, uh, things that Rain is doing in the city, etc. trying to come together as a family to make these decisions.
1: Right. And currently Rain has been looking at old papers mm-hmm. that they found in the city, and he's trying to decipher them. It seems by the conversation that... Rain is one of the few people who is able to decipher elderling writing. And...
0: But it's an incomplete language because they haven't found much, so it's very hard. Right. It takes a while. Right.
1: And Bendir is annoyed because it's been three days, and surely by now he would know if it was worth anything. Which, as a current scholar, what do you mean you gave him three days to decipher a dead language? Like, girl, please.
0: (laughs) So Rain's argument here is that you know you said as much the same when i insisted i needed more time to puzzle out the flame jewels if you had listened to me then far fewer of them would have been damaged in recovery some things don't happen overnight so rain is basically saying like you are rushing just to see if you can squeeze any profit now out of this sort of thing let me spend some time on it and i can you know, decipher it more fully. We can have more access to things. And Janie and Bendir are like, no, you just want to get in the city and kind of sit there. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're you're being immature. When will you grow up? But also, when will they grow up? Because I don't know. It just is so silly to me to rush stuff like this, like excavation and be like, oh, yeah, profit now is more important than potential extended profit. Like, what's the rush? I don't understand why do you, why does it matter if it takes three days or 10 days? You're going to get your answer. It's mm-hmm. on, this is top priority, clearly. Right. Give it some time. You'll get more in the long run. I don't know.
0: Janie speaks up and says like, no, give him a break. He has a, has a tough time keeping his mind on the topic right now as he's, you know, courting someone, as I recall, it was the same with you when you were courting your Rorella, which is an awful name to say.
1: Yeah. What was hob thinking there? Rorella. <laughs> it was specifically for Americans to say everybody else just has to
0: yeah, struggle through. <laughs> Even as an American, like rural is not a great word and rorella is not a great Rorella. Rorella.
1: Rorella. <laughs> rorella. <laughs>
0: He'd be a lot less distracted, Bendir says, if he chose a sensible woman like Rorella instead of a spoiled Bingtown girl who doesn't even know her own mind. Look at him. He is the color of a mushroom. It's a wonder he doesn't go walking into walls. Ever since he began courting this Malta, she has done nothing but torment him. If she can't make up her mind, then... Shut up! He leaps to his... Rain leaps to his feet. You don't know anything at all about what she's going through, so just shut up.
1: I feel like you need to read that more as like a angry nerd <laughs> shut up shut up like a kid a teenager shut up you don't know anything
0: <laughs> he uh he grabs the papers with disregard to their fragility and stalks over towards the door Janie hastens after rain to set a restraining hand and says no please come back sit down talk with us i know the strain you're under and i appreciate how much you must share malta's grief over her missing father Not to mention our missing live ship, Bendir added under his breath. He had intended that Rain hear his remark, and his brother took the bait. He spun to face this new provocation. Oh, oh brothers. (laughs) I
1: will say, I... I think Hob really does siblings well here because mm-hmm. it really is your siblings who can just say the dumbest thing and you know what they're doing and it still works. It still works and you're gonna fight. You're gonna fight about it and it doesn't matter. I love none of this. Brother. It's really like
0: for no reason either.
1: It, it is. It is like, why not, I guess.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> been
1: there. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, so they have this little conversation. Um, how does Deer know? That Malta's being a brat about everything and not making up her mind?
0: It's a family affair, these courtships, you know?
1: I suppose. But do you think that means that Rain is, like, telling them everything about all their encounters? Like, how uh, do they know she's being wishy-washy? Because as far as they know, Malta isn't being wishy-washy. Her family is trying to keep her as a child so that she
0: won't be presented to them. Yeah, but it's a big thing in Rain Wild's- society that their courtships are fairly quick. And if there's a decision, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get married. Mm-hmm. So Rorella is from the Rainwilds and Bendir and Rorella must have had a short courtship where she's like, oh, yeah, I will marry into your family. I will marry you, that sort of thing. And this has been going on for letters exchanged, you know, a couple of visits. And mm-hmm. Malta's still like, well, well maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I think it's just a little bit more flighty compared to Rainwild standards because mm. everything has to move pretty quickly there
1: yeah weird it's almost like she's an immature child or something <laughs>
0: <Huh>. <laughs> rain spins back to face his brother's muttered comment and accuses him of just caring about profit you care nothing for what i feel about malta you could not even grant me time away from the city and transport to Bingtown last month when she first received her bad news. It's always the same with you, Bendir. Money, money, money. I find these parchments and I want the time to make sense of them. It is not easy. There are very few writing, written documents from the elderlings. That makes translating what we do find difficult. I want to discover all of what they can tell us. I hope they may be a clue as to why there are so few written records. They obviously were illiterate folk. There should be a wealth of books and scrolls. But where? You care nothing for solving the greater mystery that may be the key to the whole city. To you, these documents only represent one thing. Can we make a profit from what they say? If not, toss them aside and go dig up something else. So there's that argument there. And also I want to say that the uh, the written records are all in as Lovejaw. Or most of them are, Yeah, as far as I understand. Yeah, there's a trove of, you know, skill documents that were traded there from the skill library of uh, Buckner Keep. Mm-hmm. But also all of the cubes, the memory cubes.
1: Yeah, I do find it interesting to know that there aren't a ton of written things. Because, I mean... If you think about society now, right, our version of skill cubes is the internet
0: and mm-hmm. sure, a bunch of videos.
1: Yeah, sure we have videos and internet, but there's still written stuff. Like people, I know it's falling out of fashion, but I it just feels like there should be more, but I guess maybe they just aren't kept up. There was a
0: whole well, think about this. Think think about the the peer effort that Fedrin and patients are going to to find a paper and inks Mm, that last, that are easy to produce, it would be incredibly difficult to put effort towards making books to um, having vellum sheets that might just break after, you know, 50 years Mm -hmm. when you can have a small cube of stone and put everything you want into there and that's something that they handle every day.
1: That's fair. That's a good point. It's just also, like
0: easy to do for them I'm I'm assuming over right. doing all the other effort. So sure they have some stuff but
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Ease of access, you know. Sure. While humanity here we've had you know, we're just starting in the last 10 years everyone can access and put stuff up on the internet, right? True. Yeah, yeah. So, well 20 years, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I guess I feel like 10 years is more fair for more widespread. Yeah, true. 20 years for sure.
0: But yeah, anyway. 20 years ago, uh, Facebook started. Oh, that's weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that that's the confrontation with Rain and, and Ben Deere. That's their kind of two sides.
1: Right. Is that one would like to rush to get the profit, and the other one doesn't care as much about the profit and cares more about the knowledge. And the p- perseverance and the learning that, They could be doing in the future versus Mm -hmm. just get what is immediately profitable and burn the rest.
0: Right. So Janie decides she kind of has to take control of the conversation. She calls them both back to the table and grudgingly they came and Janie seated herself at the head of it, intentionally taking the position of authority. Bendir had become a bit too officious with his younger brother lately It was time to take her eldest son down a notch or two. At the same time, she did not want to encourage Rain in his sullen melancholy. Of late, it seemed that was his only mood. She, for one, was heartily sick of it. She gave them no warning before she attacked. She leveled a forefinger at Bendir first. (laughs) You have no excuse for being jealous of your brother's courtship. When you were first infatuated with Rarella, the entire family was tolerant of your antics. "'You spent every spare moment you had on her doorstep. "'I seem to recall that you demanded we redecorate an entire wing of Rooster Hall for her, "'painting all of it in shades of green because you said it was her favorite color. "'Nor would you allow me to consult with her as to whether that was truly her wish. "'Do you recall how she reacted to your surprise for her?' "'Bendir glared. "'Rain grinned, an expression she had not seen on his face for some time.' She says she wants to let it linger, but she has to strike while the iron is hot here. And says to Rain, And you have to stop acting like a lovesick boy. You're a man. I would have expected this of you had you fallen in love at 14, but you are over 20. You need to practice more restraint in how you display the heart on your sleeve. Your request to dash off to Bingtown, unannounced, at a moment's notice to us, was simply unreasonable. Your sulking since then ill becomes you. You will go downriver shortly, and you will escort your lady to her first summer ball. What more can you ask of us? glints Jane. of anger comes into his eyes, and she's like, good. <laughs>
1: yeah, now they're both mad. Janie has never heard of gentle parenting. I just want <laughs> to say, she's like antagonistic parenting only in this household. We're going to start a fight. I'm going to stir the pot and be mean to both my sons. And it's going to make them better people. <laughs>
0: Well, her goal here as she kind of hints at throughout the rest of this section is to get them angry at her so they work together because she knows right. that she's not going to live forever and needs them to cooperate together because they're such opposites.
1: Right. Which sure, but like also has she thought of maybe communication and modeling <laughs> Maybe she's tried, <laughs> you know. <laughs> modeling good communication skills and teaching her children that Everybody has a different viewpoint.
0: (laughs) Well, they're both adults now, so.
1: So now she just gets to stir the pot and be mean. Um,
0: (laughs) Best part of being a parent. (laughs) I guess.
1: (laughs) So, anyway, she's kind of pointed out both of their problems and made both of them a little upset. I do find it really interesting that she's like, come on, Rain, be a man. You're not 14, a child, even though Malta's 14 and I say she's a woman. Okay. Right. whatever <laughs> but be a man don't be so dramatic cool
0: rain responds to this saying what more could i ask of you i could ask a little understanding of what she is enduring so he just kind of explains like you have no sympathy you have no idea what she's going through i wanted to go and give what support i could etc right. etc i intend to marry her how can it be precipitate to ask my family to aid hers and she responds well the family finances are not yours to dispense. You know, in your order, you would have committed us way too deeply, more than we can actually afford. I know it is her father and her family liveship at stake. My heart bleeds for them. It also represents a sizable investment on our part, one that may already be irretrievably lost. We cannot throw good money after bad. No, do not stalk off. Hear me out. What you perceive as cruel is only common sense. Should I allow you and Malta to beggar yourselves in what may be a lost cause? We've all heard tales of this Kennet. My opinion of Kyle Haven, apart from his being Malta's father, is not a high one. This I say only for your ears. He has brought this on himself. I do not say he deserved this, only that he left himself and his family and ship open to this. Preach. And she goes on to say that she can't approve of the Vestrit's rescue attempt because... Althea is strong-willed to the point of mulishness, and they have a disowned traitor's son at the helm, and it's Paragon. And and... some
1: foreigners providing
0: the money. Exactly. And she says, The ship they are using should have never left the beach again. Paragon is a rebuke to all of us. Our ignorance is our only claim to innocence. He should never have been built from mixed plank, but even so, the Ludlucks have a heavier share of the blame. They loaded him too heavy with cargo on deck and then piled on the sail to make up for it. He was top-heavy when he went over. Our greed built that ship too swiftly, and their greed drove him mad. We were both to blame for what he became. Beaching him was the wisest thing that was ever done with him. Refitting him has to be the most foolish.
1: So there's a lot to talk about there. First and foremost, I think we should back up to... Janie seems like she doesn't really like the Vestrits, question mark. She, I mean, I guess Kyle's a haven. Yeah. But she doesn't like Kyle. He brought this on himself. She doesn't think Ronica's made a good choice by allowing Althea's hardheadedness to lead them on a journey. And doesn't like that they've chosen a, the Trells or Brash and specifically, to lead. And they're dabbling with foreign money. She does not like the Vestrids.
0: No, not very much. I think she probably had a high opinion of Ronica and Efren, but they also never traded up the Rainwild Rivers. So True. why would she care that much about them?
1: Good point. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, Ronica is kind to Rainwild people, which mm-hmm. is...
0: More than you can say about a few of them.
1: Yeah. So, I don't know, like... But it is really interesting to me, I think, to see this little tidbit of like why should we care what they do? They've just lost money. it's a lost cause. we don't need to help at all period
0: we've already put a lot of our money towards them, so which
1: like have they because all they did was take over the debt, which I guess means that they paid off the debt to the other family question mark and then yeah. they took it on but. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they didn't ask you to do that. Like, <laughs> Right. also, you still, I don't know, whatever you're, you're going to get something out of it no matter what. Mm-hmm. So to be like, Oh, we already wasted enough. Like you haven't done anything yet, but okay.
0: And then there's a the whole thing about Paragon here. Yes. And how the Ludlux built him up a little bit too top heavy. So I think, and with the mixed plank, that's why he seems to roll a little bit too much. He can't really... Fit himself to settle down easily,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: I think it's just kind of inherently unbalanced.
1: Yeah, I found that really interesting. I think this is the first time we get to know that he is two different planks, and mm-hmm. it's now that we know that that means there are two different dragons. Yep, which is a big deal, I think. And then on top of that, the Rainwilders know that it's the Ludlucks' fault that Paragon killed his first crew at least. Mm -hmm. So why does everybody at Big Town, including the live ships, why are they all blaming Paragon?
0: Well, no one really blames him for that one, I don't think. But that happened probably over 150 years ago.
1: (laughs) I guess, but uh, I don't know. I think that...
0: That was the one when he awakened. He came back with uh because the father and the son left and he came back crying out for his mother in the right. boy's voice yeah
1: yeah i guess but the Ludlucks were really mean to him and everybody was called him the pariah after that i don't know it just i think that part hurts the most as a paragon stan <laughs> like so even the Rainwilders wilders know that it wasn't his fault to begin with and they're still like no let's all blame Paragon, let's all call him a murderer and be mean to him. Bully him, Kendry. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, just thought that was interesting.
0: Rain continues on a bit, trying to argue for the Vestrit's sake, saying, like, it's this is a last-ditch last effort. You know, they don't have much money. What else could they do? And Janie's like, they could have waited. There's probably a ransom to come. And Rain's like, no. By all accounts, the man wanted a live ship, and he took one. Now there is rumor that the ring's gold has vanished as well. Do you realize how vulnerable that leaves us, Mother? Pirates could come right up the Rainwild River. We have never planned for such an emergency. We have nothing in place to stop them. I think the Vestrates have taken the only sensible action. That live ship must be recovered at any cost. They're risking their kin and their family fortune to do so. Ultimately, they do so to protect us. And what do we do? We let them. What do you want us to do? Bendir asked wearily. Forgive the live ship debt. Help fund this expedition at the least. Take action against the satrap who has allowed piracy and slavery to flourish and thus precipitated this whole situation. Bendir's instantly outraged and brings up like not only do you risk, propose to risk our fortunes along with theirs, but to include all of this political stuff. This has been discussed in the Rainwild Traders' circle. Until Bingtown commits to stand beside us, it is too soon to defy the satrap. I am as sick as you are of his boot upon our neck, but but you'll endure it until someone else is ready to take the first risk. Just as Bingtown is ready to let the Vestrits take their first risk in challenging the pirates, and Tenera stood alone in challenging the Tariff. So now it's getting a little bit more political, and... Janie has never seen Rain like this worked up about politics and right. these sorts of things before. So it's it's kind of coming as a surprise to both of the family members that Rain has actually been paying attention to things and because he's o- never done that before. Yeah,
1: and not only paying attention, but also has very strong opinions. And I think this is one of the few times I'm a fan of Rain's <laughs> because I do think... He's talking and saying what I feel about all the people in this book. You can't just keep waiting for somebody else to do it first. Right. If you do it, other people will too. And I guess maybe not in this society when everybody has the attitude of like somebody needs to be successful and do it first successfully, but it's really annoying that everybody just keeps going, well, they're not doing it. So I don't have to. And it's like, well, you do it and they will too. stop like, stop passing the mm-hmm. blame on to somebody else yeah. Stop pretending like you can't do anything you need to do something too and so i think this is like i said the first time i'm like pro rain about mm-hmm. anything because i'm like yeah that's right
0: <laughs> it's an interesting situation here that really solidifies my opinions of what has been going on in bingtown and that's that they cling to their traditionalist views that like yes our ancestors came and we persevered and we're So cool and, you know, the best traders alive, but Mm -hmm. their ancestors went to the cursed shores and were the first to do so. They were the first to take the risk. Of course, like some of them kind of had to, to have a normal-ish life. Right. But they were the pioneers and when that didn't work out, they moved down the river. That didn't work out. They moved further. And until they established Bing Town, they kept trying and trying. And that's the that's the whole thing that the old traders espouse, right, is mm-hmm. persevering like we're very stubborn. We get the job done. Right. But they just say that. Yeah. And they've just stuck to the same stuff that they've been doing for years and years. And here come these situations along where all of the young people are fired up about like we need to make change. And all the old people are like, well, somebody else can do it first and then (laughs) we'll go along if we have support.
1: Yeah. Actually, when we said you need to persevere, what we meant is bury your head in the sand and that's somebody else's problem. So, yeah, it's
0: it's a very interesting foil between the two situations. A a nice little comparison between the two where they have evolved to just worshiping the past but not living by the same tenets that they're espousing.
1: Yeah, they're... They're bragging about their really cool ancestors and what their ancestors did as though it's their own accomplishments. And that means that they're absolved from ever doing anything cool ever again because they already did it because their great, 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 great great grandfather, mother did whatever.
0: (laughs) But Janie is kind of excited it went into this territory, didn't expect it to go political, but she um, she does jump at the chance. And says, yeah, I agree with Rain. The situation has not improved, and I think the climate of opinion in Bingtown has. From the reports I received at the tariff riot, I think that if the Kupras family took a stand, others would follow. And I think that stand must be for complete independence. Silence follows that, and Rain says, So much for me being the one willing to risk the complete family fortune. We risk it more when we do nothing, Janie declared. It is time we aligned ourselves with like-minded persons, whether they are from the wilds or Bingtown. Like Greg Tenera? Rain asked. I do not think it is coincidence he fled here. The Grove family has been hosting him. They have strong trade ties with the Tanira family. And strong sympathy for any who wish to stand against the satrap, Rain added thoughtfully. And this is where is a little bit surprised and like, since when do you play in politics, Rain? He's like, well, it was good that you forced me to go to Bingtown. It opened my eyes to many things. And then to his mother, he suggests, we should have Greg Tanira over to dinner. With the Groves, of course. I think that would be a wise course. She watched her older son, and when he nodded approval, she breathed a secret sigh of relief. She would not live forever. The sooner her sons learned to work together, the better. And so she tries to change the topic,
1: right? And I do want to say, I feel like Bendir and Rain do seem to actually love and care about each other. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, this
0: is—it's a good brother dynamic.
1: Yeah, it, it, clearly they're in the middle of a spat and tensions are high. But even in the the height of their spat, it doesn't feel like hate, and it doesn't feel like bridges burned. No, it's just so, petty. <laughs> yeah, very petty. But there is that sort of grudging. Yeah, okay, you have a good idea here or there. And so it's kind of odd to me that Janny keeps being like, I'm going to die soon and I want them to be able to work together and I'm just not convinced they will. Like,
0: I mean, if they have spats like this over simple things of let's translate these papers that we found and then that lasts for days where they don't talk unless the mother forces them to sit at a table, then maybe she has concerns. I
1: mean, I guess, what,
0: <laughs> but it feels as though it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> Well, she does try to change the subject here and asks if he's made any sense of the papers. And Rain goes into it a little bit and mentions that there seems to be references to another city, substantially upriver of us. If I am interpreting it correctly, it would be way to the back of beyond, almost to what some call the mountain kingdom. If such a city existed and we could locate it, well, it might represent the greatest find since Treyhog was founded here. A smoke dream, Bendir says dismissively. There have been explorations up the river before. Nothing was found. If there is another city, it is likely buried deeper than Treyhog was. And Rain is challenging him and so like, who knows? You, you don't know that for sure. And if it was all the way upriver, as it says, it may have escaped unharmed in general. It may not be buried. I think it is worth more study. And I think I will take my questions to the dragon and see what she says.
1: Right. Before we get there... Rain thinks that if it is untouched, there's a potential that the elderlings are still alive.
0: Yeah. he's like, imagine what they could teach us.
1: Right. Uh, I guess he doesn't call them elderlings. He elder calls them race. the elder race, yeah. which very close, interestingly, to elderlings. But that made me think, what happened to the Kelsingra elderlings? I think we've probably we've talked
0: about this before. Yeah. yeah.
1: We've touched on it, but they're just gone.
0: I mean, the city has a giant rent in it, so I'm sure it was during the cataclysmic event.
1: But also, everything else is still intact. So even if they left to get away from the volcano or whatever happened, presumably they could have come back. Like, it's odd that everybody left is all I'm saying. Yeah. So I don't know.
0: Just a thought. Eventually, they probably died out.
1: I guess. Somehow. But they're gone and they don't know that here. So they're Rain is really excited about the idea of talking to this older race and brings up
0: talking to the dragon, talking to the
1: dragon, which sparks another fight.
0: Like, no, Rain, I thought we were clear on that. You are to stay out of the crowned rooster chamber. That log has entirely too much power over you. It's not a log. She's a dragon. She should be freed. Janie and Bender did not try to hide the look they exchanged. Bindir spoke almost angrily. I should have cut up that damn thing a long time ago when I first suspected you were susceptible to it, but the time wasn't right. It's the last log of wizard wood and the biggest. The ship we build from it will be the last live ship. Unless you are right about this other city of yours, perhaps we might find more wizardwood there. And Rain's like, well, you won't find it without me, and if you do kill the dragon, I will not help you. Bendir, of course, is crossing his arms and Janie's like, oh, OK, here's another kind of
1: <laughs> a big fight there. Yep. They're both very stubborn about this and neither wants to let go of their point. And it is. A hard thing, like Rain sees this as a being with feelings and nobody believes him or agrees. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is part of them calling it a log. And saying it's dead is more to ease their own conscious conscience because if a little bit, if it is still alive, then that means they've Mm -hmm. been murdering all the other babies. So not great.
0: Yeah. We've talked about this from Janie's point of view when she had her conversation with with Rain as well in the chamber. Right. Uh, She had some of these thoughts running through her head and this argument with Rain as well, because Vendir says and holds that side of the, the argument saying, there is no dragon, it's not alive, whatever was in there died a long time ago, this is wizardwood we're talking about, it inherits and absorbs the memories, so all you're talking to is the memories of what was going to be born from it. It's not real, stop talking to the stillborn madness. Uncertainty wavered across Rain's face. Then it hardened into stubbornness, and he sticks on his side here. It's easy enough to prove to me. Bring it out into the you know the air and the sunshine. If nothing happens, I'm wrong, and you can cut it up. Right. To which same ben, old arguments here. Yeah.
1: To which Bendir says that's a fool's errand because it would be so costly and time-consuming to do that that it wouldn't matter anyway by the time we get the profit out of it. Besides,
0: it could collapse the chamber, too. Right,
1: which is more loss. So it doesn't make sense to take you up on your offer. It's really hard because they're just at an impasse here. Rain believes that that the dragon is alive, that this egg is capable of hatching, and Bendir just doesn't.
0: And Rain thinks that it could help Malta and the family as well. Right. He says, think of the potential ally. And of course, Janie comes back. Think of the potential enemy.
1: Right. Like what would happen to us Mm -hmm. if it does become alive and is capable of helping Malta as it says it is? Then what will it do to us, the people who killed all its kin? (laughs) uh,
0: She provokes him even more, basically, like we will not speak of this again. I forbid it.
1: And then he tries to walk away. He walks. He starts trying to walk out of the room and Janie stops him saying, we're not done. You need to come back. And he says, I'm done. If you're going to treat me like this, I'm done. Yeah.
0: I demand it. She says. Yeah. He turns back to them. His eyes had gone cold and dark. You demand it. This is what I demand. Then make it worth my while. If you will not give me the dragon, then give me some of your precious money, mother. Because one way or another, I will help my beloved. I will not go to the Bingtown Ball, take her hand, dance with her, and then leave her as beggared of hope and coin as when I arrived there. I won't. Bendir's turn to be outraged, and he's like, When did you stop being a family member of this family? Must we bribe you to do your family duty? Should we pay you for giving back a measure of what you have taken? I will be damned first. Then be damned, Rain replied coldly. Rain, Janie says, speak plainly. Exactly what do you ask of us? What would we have to offer you to have you surrender this dragon dream of yours? Bender tries to cut in, but Janie's like, no, hush. Like, let him state his claims out.
1: Yeah, hear him out
0: first before you Mm -hmm. say no. So what are you asking for, son? And we learn later, this is kind of what she's been leading to.
1: Yes, this is what she's been hoping for. Mm-hmm. This is the opportunity. She's going to lock him into a contract because Reign's a man of his word, just like all of them are. They really stand behind.
0: And she wants him away from that log.
1: Yeah. If you give your word, you're going to follow that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. That, she... that was
0: her whole point behind this whole thing. Just get, get him, him away, away. Yeah. from it.
1: And it's definitely coming from a concerned
0: mother oh, yeah. point of view.
1: Because her husband was lost. Yeah, I was think lost, his father. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: They got lost in the memories, you know. So. Oh yeah. But Rain has to state his his plans here or his demands. He cleared his throat. First, forgive the Vestorate's debt for the live ship. It's but a formality anyway. It was openly acknowledged that they would be that that would be my bridal gift to Malta. Give it now while it is needed most. Don't let her believe that we would continue to wring coins from her family when they are sorely beset. Don't make her fear. Don't make her fear that for the sake of coin she must come to wed me, whether she would or not. I don't want her that way. I don't want her to fear that we will invoke the blood agreement. She would come to love you in time, Rain. Don't doubt that. Many a bride who has come to the Rain Wilds reluctantly has soon learned to love. I don't want her that way, Rain repeated. Then we won't invoke that part of the contract. Fine. It's done. We'll just throw the contract away. Now, what did you learn from the parchments? Bendir spoke brusquely. There's more, Rain said.
1: I do want to start uh, stop there just quickly to point out, I do think it is really admirable of Rain to, throughout this section, but especially here, acknowledge that the least they can do is throw out this debt.
0: Yeah, he's trying to advocate very fiercely for Malta and the Vestrits.
1: Yeah, and there is... Clearly a lot of respect there. And I do really appreciate that Rain is saying, I don't want to force her to marry me. I want her to marry me because she wants to. Right. I want this to be a choice. And I don't want this hardship on their family to be the thing that pushes her to me, which is a little interesting because prior to this, it's like, there's no time to wait. We need to get married right now. But now it's like, I'll wait all the time in the world. I mean, but,
0: big tragic yes. things have happened in between.
1: Yes, I mean, yes, <laughs> but I do. I, I just I will acknowledge that has happened in the past. But I do like the attitude and the sentiment of we have to do bare minimum. And he's really fighting hard for that. And he's giving up something he loves to and cares a lot about to help Malta. And I think mm-hmm. that's really big, especially because we just had her chapter where she talks about how you can't trust any men and they all, all they all have this power and then they desert you when they need it the most or when you need it the most. So I like the juxtaposition of Rain actively trying to gain more power to give her. Right. And it's not for himself, it's for her. And I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. So it does go a long way to help forget about the fact that
0: uh, uh, their age gap is yeah he, he truly does love and care for her
1: yeah so. so i appreciate that but that's not his only ask
0: yes there is more and he asks to be the ruler of his own life to be treated as a man in short and explains that's like let me come and go as i wish give me my own allowance my own purse you've had it when you were younger than me ben Deer, and Deer's like, that's because I was married. Yeah. What are you? If we give in to you, we're, you're just going to keep asking for more. And Janie's like, nope, we agree to that as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting here to hear about we're getting little snippets of the culture, right? So in this culture, in the rain wilds, families live together even in adulthood, mm-hmm. but adults. You're seen as an adult whenever you get an adult allowance, which is a little funny. (laughs) But when you get your own spending money, that's when you're really an adult because you don't have to answer to people for that money. Otherwise, your family covers your expenses and you have to ask. Mm -hmm. And I find that aspect really interesting that that's the maturity is the family is providing and they're still providing because they're giving you the allowance. But just that intricateness of...
0: The accountability versus yeah. free to do with what you wish because now you're a trusted adult.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know I just like that. It's little things like that that makes this world feel real. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. sprinkled in. Like clearly there's a culture here. There is a way of living that is completely different from Bingtown. Yeah, and I love that. I love that we get even in this really important chapter that sprinkled in as well.
0: So Janie breaks into Bendir's ranting like Yeah, you may have that as well," and Bendir. Is from Incredulous to Furious and he says, why am I here at all? It seems I have no say in anything. And Janie's like, no, nah, just be quiet. You're here to witness this.
1: <laughs> she, she basically acknowledges, yeah, you don't have a role yeah. here. You're just
0: here to witness. Like, you have no power here. <laughs> Rain, this is what we have asked of you. That you will give up the dragon dream and not visit the log anymore. You will no longer claim a say in what becomes of the log. You will do your duty to your family, employing your skills as we ask. You will not enter the city, save with the approval of your brother and me, and then only for work we sanction. In return, we will void the contract for the live ship Vivacia, issue you a man's independent allowance, and allow you to visit your beloved as you wish. Do you agree to this? She had phrased it formally. She watched her son consider it as she had taught him, going over each phrase, committing to memory the terms of the agreement. He looked from her to his brother. His breath began to come faster. He rubbed his temples as if he waged some internal battle within himself. The terms of the contract were steep for both sides. She was offering much to gain much. He was taking too long to reply, though. He would refuse. Then, yes, I agree. He spoke hastily if the words hurt him. And I want to ask, do you think that internal battle he waged with himself was arguing with Tintaglia? Because I do. Yeah,
1: potentially. I don't, It's hard to say because I don't know. Does Tintaglia talk to him while he's awake?
0: I think so, because they're so close. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the whispers and everything like while you're around there. But then again, he usually was like touching the log. Yeah. Any other things? So I, I don't know.
1: I don't know that we've seen Tintaglia talk to Rain outside of dreams or on the cusp of sleeping.
0: We haven't had many point of views from him lately. So yeah, yeah So don't
1: pretend- I don't I don't think she is with him now. However, I think he's worried about her response. Right. And, and
0: just being guilty about it.
1: Yeah, because he does care more about Malta than he does about Tintaglia. But he knows that this is giving up a lot Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) for this dragon. That's fair.
1: So I don't know. I think it's more of like, Ooh, I got to say it before anything bad happens.
0: But Janie does let out a sigh of relief, a quiet one. She had done it. The trap closed behind him unsuspected. She took a deep breath to quell her queasiness at doing this to her own son. It was necessary. She told herself necessary and therefore honorable rain would abide by his word. He always had and always would. What was a traitor if he was not as good as his word? As traitor for this family, I accept your agreement. Ben, dear, do you witness it? I do, he agreed sourly. He would not meet her eyes. She wondered if he suspected what she had done and was disgusted by it, or if he were dismayed at the terms. And she kind of goes to dismiss everybody like, eh, let's get some sleep. We've got a lot to do,
1: right? It's Rain, have more time yep. uh, to look over things. Get to us tomorrow to tell us what you know. I feel like she's kind of a bad person for setting a trap on her own son and then pretending like it's honorable. Because her it's stipulations the right thing
0: to do. were very strict in this. Yeah, it wasn't just you know give up the log or the dragon she added on like you won't enter the city except for by me or your brother's permission with work that we direct you like it's it's fully trapping him to not get lost Mm -hmm. you know for his own good and not like lose his mind right it is taking the one thing that he like the second thing that he truly cares about away
1: yeah basically like well if it doesn't work out with malta (laughs) sorry bud (laughs) and to be fair he's basically asking for like hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't mean, know. Yeah. I think it's yeah. fair to
0: say that <laughs> for the live ship debt. Yeah. It was going to get forgiven anyways. Right. But,
1: but like it's we're forgiving the debt, giving him his own purse, letting him come and go as he pleases, which costs money. Like he's asking for, sure, he sure. is asking for a lot, but I do think that he's paying a way higher price yes, than they yes. are, even though his, they're giving him money and his is not monetary.
0: Yeah. But Janie feels bad and dismisses them. And yeah, she is she's not a great person for this, but she is justifying it to herself. And I kind of understand she's like trying to save her child, you know? Yeah. It just feels gross. Yeah, and I get
1: like <laughs> sometimes you have to um make hard choices for your loved ones or people you're watching over that you know that they won't like, but she's a fake person, so I feel comfortable being like, oh, she's a bad person. <laughs> yeah.
0: So she does say, get some sleep, and Rain says, oh, not I. No, sleep for me, I fear. Or rather, I fear that I will sleep. I'll begin tonight, Mother. Perhaps I'll have something for you by the morning. And she's like, oh, don't overtax yourself. But no, he's afraid to sleep because Tintaglia will be waiting for him in his dreams.
1: And she's going to know what happened. She's going to be mad. He's going to be tormented. They don't care. I mean, she would care if she knew, but...
0: She would just double down and be like, well, this is good for you then.
1: Right. And I think it's hard, too, because I I think they truly believe that Tintaglia is nothing more than memories. Like, yeah, I really think that they like maybe there's a little bit of doubt in their mind, but for the most part, they fully believe this is just memories. And so if they heard that Tintaglia was visiting rain in his room outside of the city in his dreams they would be like, oh, he's getting lost to the memories. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I don't know if it's ever clear what happens to people when they get lost in the memories. I know, I think somebody says that you just can't get them to leave a spot or you find them in a spot starved to death or something, maybe in the next Rainwild trilogy. They become
0: fairly vegetative as far as I know. Rapskill almost gets lost in things. He has like uh, that guy kind of inhabit his own body right? because of the, those specific memories. But like with all of these whispers around you, all the memories and not knowing how to guard your mind to them, I feel like it's just you're inundated with this other world mm-hmm. that you can't quite, you know, grasp. But So you're just like turned inward the whole time.
1: That's fair. But I guess more so I'm wondering like with, Rain's dad, when they say he was lost to the memories, does that mean that, like, even when he came back, they couldn't reach him as a person?
0: Yeah, or, I, I, that's what I was saying. Okay. I think they be, yeah. they're they like vegetative okay. in like a vegetative state where they're not responding to anything because they're so inwardly turned. Mm-hmm. They're just they're not themselves. They're not responding. They're not eating. They're not drinking because. They're playing through these lives and these memories in their head. Okay. That's at least what I understand from it.
1: Yeah. And I guess whenever we see Fitz accidentally do this in Kelsingra, it's wildly, it's wild because it's so real. And I guess if you're not used to the skill or anything, it like you said, have an unguarded mind it probably feels good, too, because, we know, skill usage is addicting and feels good if you're not trained in it and that you can succumb to the pleasure part of it. But, yeah, I mean, well, who wouldn't want to live in a, in a magical city where they have all these cool things going on all the time versus. Right.
0: And that's that's Kelsing versus these buried cities, though. And these buried cities aren't as solid.
1: That's fair. I was gonna, but I mean, even here, whenever Malta's in there later, yeah, that play or whatever. Yeah, there's so much happening. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want to live in a magic city versus <laughs> everybody who's deformed and you have all these oh, tragic things happening in your life because you live in the rain wilds? True. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, rain leaves, but before Bendir does, Janey commands him to wait. For what he demanded in a surly tone. For rain to be well out of earshot. That got his attention. He looked down at her in shock. She waited a bit and then says, The dragon log, Bendir. We need to be rid of it, and soon. Cut it up. Perhaps you are right. Perhaps it is time the Cooper's family had a ship of our own. Or have it sawn into planks and store them. Get rid of the thing inside it. Otherwise, I fear we will lose your brother. The log, not Malta, is the root of our problems with your brother. It preys upon the mind. I fear he will drown in the memories. He already walks a narrow path beside a precipice. I think we should keep him from the city as much as possible. A look of concern came into his face. It eased her heart. It was unfeigned. He truly cared for his younger brother. The depth of his feelings showed in his next question. Now? You mean cut up the log before he goes off to the summer ball in Bingtown? I don't think that is wise, mother. No matter that he has agreed to give up any say about it. That should be a happy time in his life, not one of tormented by second thoughts. You're right, no, but wait until he is safely away. I expect he will spend a week or more in Bingtown. Do it then. Let him come home to it as something that is done and irrevocable. That will be best. He will blame me, you know. This will not make anything easier between us. No, he will blame me, his mother assured him. I will see that it is so. So another hint that the uh, the summer ball is going to be the next climax of things happening here. Right. Where Paragon is sailing, where Malta is going there, where Rain is going to meet Malta and say like, hey, I'm giving you your debt over. And then also Tintaglia is threatened.
1: Yes. So. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. It's, I don't know. It's a lot right now. I feel really bad for Rain and for Tintaglia, I guess because that's a big threat. Right. Just get rid of it. <laughs> but I don't know. I think it's nice to see the relationship between Rain and Bendir and that there is a lot of love there in that family and that they mm-hmm. care about each other. Yeah. And then Janie just stir in the pot. (laughs) She also loves them. I'm not going to pretend like she doesn't care about her sons. She absolutely does, clearly. She just is a very different person than me. So (laughs) reading her point of view is always quite interesting.
0: Then we have one last point of view, and it goes back to uh, Paragon here.
1: Yeah. So Paragon is sitting in the harbor. harbor. Yes, thank you. And he is cautiously feeling his face, to because he's sitting in darkness. He can't see anything. And he's trying to feel what.
0: the What's going on? With yeah, it? what's going on up there? Are you in pain? Amber asks him. We do not know pain as humans do. A moment later, he asks, tell me about town. What do you see? He describes a bit, and he says, "'I wish I could see everything.' More loudly, he complained, "'I wish I could see anything. Anything. "'It's all darkness, Amber. "'To be blind on the beach was bad, Amber, "'but after a time I became accustomed to it. "'But here, in the water once more, "'I don't know who is passing me on the docks "'or what vessel may come alongside me. "'Fire could break out on the docks, "'and I would not know it until it was too late.' All that is bad enough, but soon we will sail. How can you expect me to venture into that vastness blindly? I want to do well, I do, but I fear I cannot. He sensed her helplessness when she spoke. You will have to trust us. We will be eyes for you, Paragon. If we must go into danger, I swear I will be here, right beside you, telling you all we face. Thin comfort. That is thin comfort, I fear. I know. It's all I can offer. So he's more concerned about his blindness, finally kind of confronting it. It's the first time we really hear him talking about this, how he is completely unaware. We've encountered it a little bit in his point of view when he was getting launched into the water. Mm-hmm. His anxiousness and fear kind of rising because he couldn't see what was coming. He could only kind of sense the rocks, mm-hmm. didn't have any sense of what was going on. But here he's actually talking with someone about it and just wishing and hoping.
1: Right. And he's letting Amber in. He's letting her know the fear that he's having of getting caught unaware and especially sailing into the vastness that is the ocean, which is super fair, super fair because the ocean is huge and scary and (laughs) (laughs) and he can't see anything.
0: Yeah, and so they sit in quiet for a little bit, and then he speaks up. Amber, was it difficult to fix Ophelia's hands? Were they badly damaged? And she explains that the scorching did not go deep, except in a few places, but the problem was keeping the proportions of Ophelia. So rather than simply carve away things, she had to reshape a bit.
1: Right, and that most of what she carved away was good wood.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part of the task was for her to keep still and for me to concentrate on my skill when I worried about causing her pain. Then it was painful? Who knows? She said it was not. As you say, she also told me. ships do not experience pain as humans do. Nevertheless, I think it was uncomfortable for her. She told me she felt a sense of loss at the wood I pared away. That was one reason I restored it to her jewelry. As jewelry. She also told me that her hands felt "'wrong' when I was finished. "'That was devastating to me. "'I had done the best work I could. "'But when I last visited her before she sailed, "'she told me she had become accustomed to her new hands, "'and that now they felt fine. "'She greatly desired that I would re-carve her hair for her, "'but Captain Tenera refused. "'He said they could not stay in port that long. "'To tell you the truth, I was grateful. "'Wizard wood is uneasy wood.' Even with my gloves on, I always felt it was trying to draw me into it. He scarcely heard her final words. "'You could cut my beard off!' he exclaimed. "'What? Paragon, what are you saying?' "'You could cut my beard off, and shape it, and peg it back onto me as a new face. I'd be able to see again.' "'That's a crazy idea. A crazy idea from a mad ship. It would work, Amber. Look how much wood is here!' He reached up to seize two great handfuls of his beard." There is plenty enough to make my new eyes. You could do it. So he's really kind of latching onto this. And Mm -hmm. with the reshaping of Ophelia's hands, it kind of gave him that inkling, that seed of an idea of like, maybe she can work miracles here.
1: Yeah, reshape my face.
0: (laughs) Well, the first idea, just like shave me and then use that to...
1: Create eyes. Pin
0: more wood over my face to carve a new face. Yeah, yeah. And Amber's like, I am not going to do that because who knows if that's actually going to work. It could just stay dead wood once I cut it off.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no way of telling how this works, if it would work correctly, what it would do, what it looks like.
0: (laughs) And she brings up, you know, like, what would Althea and Brashen say? And Paragon says... Why should it matter what they say? Do I belong to them? Am I a slave? He ignores her attempt to cut in and says, When you bought me, did you you not insist that it was but a formality for others? You said I belonged to myself, that I always had and always would. It would seem to me then that this should be my decision. Perhaps it should. That does not mean that I have to agree to it. Why would you refuse? Do you want me to be blind? He felt anger shivering inside him, trying to find a way out. He swallowed it back like bile. Anger did not work on Amber. She would just walk away. Which, a little bit of learning there.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, he has learned a bit of a lesson. He's
0: growing a little bit. Discipline, you know, <laughs> swallowing back his anger. And Amber says, you know, like, I don't want you to be blind. And I don't want you to be disappointed. Because I don't understand Wizardwood. You know, this is entirely new thing to me. Re-carving hands is one thing, but this is insane.
1: She also talks about how Ophelia talking about the wrongness of her hands really got to her. Mm-hmm. And by the time they left, Ophelia said that they felt normal now and she would love to have her hair redone. But Captain Tanira wouldn't allow it, which is for the better because she didn't want to do it.
0: Yeah. As she says... Uh, Ophelia says she had a sense of wrongness about her hands. What I sensed was something subtler, something closer to sacrilege. Her voice went soft on the last word. He could almost feel her confusion. You did it for Ophelia, but you would not do it for me? Paragon, there is a very great difference here. And she's just talking about removing versus pegging entirely new wood. And... Then, Paragon says, "'Then do it for me as you did for her. "'Cut away my old ruined face. "'Make me a new one.' Amber breathed out some words in a different language. Paragon had no idea whether she prayed or cursed. He only sensed her horror at his suggestion. "'Do you know what you are advocating? "'I would have to rework your face entirely. "'Perhaps your whole body to make you proportional. "'I've never taken on a project of such magnitude.' I'm a woodcarver, Paragon, not a sculptor. She huffed out a sigh of disgust. I might ruin you. Destroy your beauty forever. How would I live with that? Paragon just claws at his face and laughs aloud. Amber, I would rather be ugly than blind. Right now, I am both. How could you make it worse? The answer to that question is exactly what I don't want to discover. But I know I will think about it. Give me time to think about it, Paragon. Give yourself time to consider it as well. Time is all I possess. He pointed out time and to spare. But I before we dive into that last part, I started that re- reading that section with Amber saying that it was closer to sacrilege. Yeah. Of her cutting away at the wizard wood, mm-hmm. which is very interesting wording to me because she's confused about it as well. Right. Because she doesn't know that live ships are, that Wizardwood is the cocoon of a baby dragon. Right. And so this feeling that like, this is wrong, I am chopping up something. It's because she's been working her whole life to to seeing them live.
1: Yeah, but not only that, I think more so it's because... Separating memories? No. So she specifically says, my heart says it's one thing yet my hands tell me it's something different Mm -hmm. the silver tip fingers she can feel everything about it she can feel that it's not what it seems so I feel as though that connection that like her tipped hands being in silver Mm -hmm. and this also being silver I don't think silver wants to be worked with it probably would feel like sacrilege. It would feel like you're doing something wrong because it feels like it does go against the nature of things to use silver in that way, I guess.
0: Also, she said it felt like she was trying to be drawn into it as she was working it.
1: And that. hmm hmm
0: So, very interesting wording here. Uh, Amber is kind of like on the cusp of needing like one piece to unlock all of these mysteries in her head. Right,
1: definitely. Do you think... With that wording, it feels like I'm being drawn in. Does that mean that the live ships are partially forging the family members that are on?
0: No, I think that's because of the silver on her fingertips. Mm, because okay, okay. they drink it so greedily to turn into dragons uh, that they the... that they want that silver. Okay. And so like if she pressed her hand ungloved to the uh the deck, maybe the silver would disappear. Maybe evil? Oh, yeah, I don't know. And leaves, I mean, I guess she does some fingerprints, you know.
1: She does unglove and work on the wizard wood with her bare hands, does she? I'm pretty sure Maybe. she does with uh, for sure with Paragon. It's like a whole okay. thing because uh, Althea makes mention of her silvered fingers, mm,
0: okay? Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: at least with Paragon, she does. I'm pretty sure she does it with uh, Ophelia too, though. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, so I I think that's what the the drawn-in part is. But yeah, Paragon's like, well, then don't cut off and tack on. Recarve me entirely. I Mm -hmm. I don't care if you mess up my looks. I need to have eyes. And I need to see if this works.
1: I find it interesting that Amber's biggest hesitation is the chance of ruining his loveliness. Like, oh, I'm not a master carver. Mm -hmm. I just... Or a sculptor, I just carve wood. Especially knowing that Amber and slash beloved is really talented with wood carving. Like There's,
0: there is a difference between carving and sculpting, like she says, though. Right. There's one thing to like keep proportion in, like hands, for example, versus a whole body. Mm. I could, you know, I can draw pretty horribly, but I could draw, <laughs> you know. An ear or one eye. But if I have to draw a whole head, a whole face, things are going to be out of whack on that thing. I'm not (laughs) keeping them the same size.
1: Okay. Fair, fair. I don't know. I guess that's like part of it. But also, I find it odd that there's so much emphasis on the I don't want to take away your beauty. I don't know.
0: I think it's that's one thing to say outwardly to him that may make sense because I feel like Amber... Wants to do something for Paragon Mm -hmm. and wants to be able to help, but like her own confusion about things and her own unwillingness to work with Wizardwood more isn't enough of an excuse to say no. Okay. And so she's trying to find other reasons to say no and convince him not to.
1: Okay. I was, I was wondering if it was maybe Beloved's tendency to collect beautiful things. Could be. Um, He's not
0: necessarily like a beautiful thing, right? Now.
1: <laughs> well, but He's, in too um, beloved. Right. He is. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm just thinking back to when we first see the fool's room fits first, like breaks into the fool's room to get back at him. And it's beautiful. Everything in there is beautiful. It's all these beautiful little trinkets and toys and, It's all delicately placed. It's got order. I don't know. So I feel like Fool slash Beloved does have a soft spot for beautiful things. And even with the, I don't know, brokenness of Paragon, clearly there is some beautiful craftsmanship happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning in. This was been a two-parter so thanks for hearing out this whole episode or whole chapter i guess across two episodes <laughs> if you have any thoughts any theories please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us on any of our socials facebook twitter instagram we're on reddit as well youtube threads where it is at isfitshappy on all of those so please let us know any theories questions or just general thoughts or feedback that you have yeah Appreciate you tuning in.
1: We look forward to hearing from you next week. Okay, time for our favorite part. (laughs) We're going to read what you guys have brought to our attention. And I wanted to start off with a really interesting comment we got from Ellen on episode 184. So Luke read a passage from his book, his version of his book, that said, "Move Paragon to the West Wall." But Ellen's book reads
0: North Wall, and it's just she's just wondering, "What about the rest of everybody yeah. else? Anybody else have but a yeah. different direction?" It's this page, it's this passage here. Um, it's in you know chapter twenty-five of Mad Ship. It's, um, I think. Brashen? Yeah, Brashen explaining stuff. He's like, talking about the Paragon, there was still a great deal of work to do on the Paragon, but most of it would be refitting rather than rebuilding. We'll stay with the barge for a while to let his wood swell. Then we'll move him to the west wall to finish. With the other live ships? Althea asked uneasily. So that is um, maybe like a page before it switches to Paragon's point of view. So yeah, I have Westwall on mine. It's just a couple pages before the end of chapter 25 that I see on here. So very, very interesting. And I am surprised that Ellen had Northwall in her copy there. Emma's looking up in her book right now, seeing if she can find that passage.
1: My book version also says Westwall.
0: Interesting. I mean... That's the maybe the second or third time we found our books are consistent and other people's copies are different. So yeah, we must have since mine is a an ebook. We must have the same version. Mine just copied electronically.
1: Right. Uh, I will also say West Wall is lowercase. Mm-hmm. It is not uppercase, which yeah. I found odd. So yeah, it's really interesting to see the differences. I guess between everybody's books. Uh, I guess both of us got our versions from U.S. publishers. I mean, I guess ebook it's harder to (laughs) know for sure, but I would assume because you downloaded it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, And mine's from a U.S. thrift store. Um, But yeah, I think if they're from other countries, other countries make changes in the publications. So it'd be interesting to know if other little things like that got changed. I don't know why you would possibly need to make that change, but... Cool that they did. So thank you, Ellen, for bringing up that difference.
0: We had another comment on Facebook from Dana, who brought up Paragon's moods and the two dragons that are inside of him or make him up. Specifically, Dana says... Do you think perhaps Paragon's ragey moods on the days before he floats are parts of the two dragons opinion of their nature being made a slave to humans? And maybe that sullenness is kind of, oh, we're going to be floated again. We're going to make, be made to do work and be subservient to these people again. It's an interesting thought. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much control those dragons have we know that they influence his moods but I don't know if yeah I I don't know if they would be aware of what's happening or in general they're just always sullen I don't know it's a very interesting thought of how much sway they have and how much awareness they have
1: yeah no there's definitely an interesting dynamic there of figuring out who's at the forefront of Paragon's being. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's so hard to tell because there's a lot.
1: Yeah. And it's really hard to tell in general how it works because Paragon is so complex as a character. Right. And I just feel like he seems to be a solid being. Whereas he knows that there are parts of him that are dragon, but part of him is
0: paragon. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I don't know. I just found that, I find that aspect so intri- intriguing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dana.
1: Yeah. Following that, we got a direct message from Hedwig, who is also talking about the two parts of the dragon. So. In episode 183, we had a discussion about whether Paragon's personalities are adult versus child or the people, the people who died on him. Or is it the two dragons? Like, what is it both? What is going on? I guess Hedwig is asking, what if it's both? Mm -hmm. Because we were trying to decide what's bringing forward. Yeah. Right. Like whose personality same controls. kind of thought that yeah. like
0: Dana was kind of bringing up like this is a culmination who's in charge, what kind of influences is Paragon getting.
1: Right. And Hedwig brings up that we learn later in the books that basically half the ship is one dragon's planks and the other half is a different dragon
0: and they're not like Neatly split. They no. were all, the logs were sawn into planks and they were probably mixed in a stack and just grabbed willy nilly. Right.
1: So that's why it doesn't fit together properly. It's kind of weird that way. However, they talk about what if that means that one dragon aligns with the personality of someone of a Ludluck more than a different dragon. And so they're forward. So They both have different personalities as it is, but they also absorbed different personalities. Right. And so
0: Dragon A absorbed more people because more blood or death happened on their planks mm -hmm. that were different temperaments than the people who died on person or Dragon B's.
1: Right. And and so that's why sometimes it feels like it's more childish versus more adult-like. And maybe that's because that's the part of that's the dragon coming forward and taking control that's who mm-hmm. they absorbed and i thought that was a really interesting
0: thought yeah very unique perspective on that and very interesting as well cuz hedwig brings up a section here that i don't really remember like i vaguely remember a section like this but hedwig says uh that since the dragon planks aren't fitted neatly together like one left half versus right half is just kind of all mixed in when the dragons are arguing, they pull away and let water seep in to the ship, pull away from each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, that's something to, to look out for and just kind of find evidence of if that's why the personalities work that they do.
1: Right. So, I don't know. Very interesting. Thank you, Hedwig, for bringing that up. I'm so sorry that you aren't able to binge us anymore because you've caught <laughs> up. <laughs> that is Always the worst feeling whenever you're really into a podcast that has a million episodes, then all of a sudden you're weekly. (laughs) So shout out to everybody who is following along with us weekly and has been for 185 episodes now. (laughs) We appreciate you.
0: And then we got some emails as well. Is there a specific one you wanted to start with, Emma? Let's
1: start with... Let's start with Melissa. Sounds good. Melissa wrote in to us to give us a perspective we haven't heard yet. And that's from someone who did not know Amber was the fool.
0: Yeah, they were just very involved in the story as it was and didn't find out until Tawny Man, when the fool came riding in on a horse called Malta, that they're like, wait, I have to look this up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And apparently Melissa's theory was that Amber was made of wizard wood themselves. Yeah. So I love that theory. And I wish I would have thought that because that seems really cool. But Melissa says that it explains her deep sympathy for the live ship. Amber's deep sympathy for the live ship and her distaste at the thought of working with wizard wood. And how she's
0: described as wood like, you know, all the time.
1: Her skin glowed like wood. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, all the hints of her being other is, in fact, because she is a white prophet and not made of wizard wood. But that is a really good idea, and I like it a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, Melissa also states that they thought it was confirmed when we met Kenneth's charm because, like, oh, another carved person that took on, you know, Mm -hmm. speech. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Which yeah, Interesting I've,
0: theory. It's a fun thought.
1: It is, and I like. I like the thought process behind it of like you potentially could make a person yeah. out of wizard One. I don't know how they would absorb memories though.
0: You'd have to die on them. How? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: I really don't want to think
0: about it. Yeah. Although
1: I don't know, the smaller the item, the less less energy. Although, okay, can somebody explain to me? This is very off tangent, but <laughs> can somebody explain to me why the little birth control belly button rings charms, don't yeah. talk? I mean, I guess no faces are carved on them. Yeah, they're not. But carved. do they have consciousness?
0: Like, there's some sort of memories floating around in there. It's a little piece of wizard wood. So
1: that's crazy, yeah. right? Like. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Interesting. I don't
1: know. Anyway, just a random thought. Thank you, Melissa, for giving us that point of view. We loved hearing it.
0: We had a couple thoughts on the language barrier and skill, um, skill to skill speaking and things like that. Uh, And before we dive into that, I want to talk about Jonas who sent in an email who started that conversation to begin with and does make a comment on that Mm -hmm. at the end of this. Jonas has a couple other thoughts about Brashen and End Paragon, and how that dynamic is so great to read and listen to. And I I totally agree. Yeah, they they really are good there, and it's nice to see the good natureness coming through and mm-hmm. the bonds starting to form with you know Brashen and End Paragon throwing down the challenge or rising to the challenge of Elthea saying like Vivation I will beat you you know yeah. That's great. But also Jonas mentions that it is extremely sad to know where Althea and Vivacia end up at the end of the series and that they'll never be able to meet that challenge. Right. I think it works out for in general the best uh, because Vivacia and Althea are just completely different at the end of it and they haven't had that bonding time. Yeah. But still it is sad to. For what could have been.
1: Right. And I do think that Vivacia, if she would have been paired with Althea from the start, they would have a really close bond. Yeah. Like, I I don't think. Oh, yeah,
0: I totally agree. But they just grew apart because they went through such drastically different events in their life.
1: Right. And so much happened and so Mm -hmm. much changed. But it is really sad because this whole time, that's all Althea cares about and is working towards is. Getting to vivacia and then too late.
0: <laughs> then Jonas also jumped the gun slightly and started discussing what we are asking, what we thought about the ships turning into dragons at the end of the series, and uh-huh. like put in a little edit, like, "Oh, you started talking about this." So <laughs> glad to know we aren't alone in those questions and those thoughts. That it was well, Jonas thinks it was more of a cop out, or like he didn't like it as much,
1: right? And that's that. The silver turns the wizard wood
0: into dragons. Into themselves. dragons, yeah. yes. So, so yeah, we we were discussing that last episode too, and I think I haven't really changed my thoughts on that. Still, it's I can suspend my disbelief, but it's the most fantastical part of this series. Yes. <laughs> but finally, what I had brought up originally, Jonas does. Want to mention and thank us for the discussion on the language barrier and skill speaking, because it is an interesting topic. And I think both of us really agree because we're going to talk about it more. But Jonas also has a question. What about when somebody makes a pun? If they can break that language barrier, what happens if the skill speakers make a pun that would really only make sense or, you know, some colloquialism or something vernacular? And that kind of that question kind of leads into an email we've got from Harry. So thank you, uh, Harry says, long time listener, first time caller, and one of the topics that they mention is the communication with skill across a language barrier, and specifically mentions that they believe it's only general concepts, or you know basic communication in that way and anything complex would need that language. So I think that kind of would fill that gap in that Jonas is talking about those kinds of puns, wordplay, anything like that would get lost in translation, so to speak, Right, (laughs) because the skill is, it's very hard to fully direct in my opinion. And I, I think I kind of agree with Harry that yes, you would be able to get over some of those, you know, That language barrier to convey what you are feeling, what you are kind of thinking or, you know, actions that you want to happen, but nothing so complex or specific.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I feel like that could be the case. I I like the idea of being able to have universal puns, but. (laughs) It makes me think of one time I read a joke online and. It was a joke that used multiple languages in the punchline and it was like Italian, French, Spanish, and English. And I don't speak French or Italian. And so looking at the words in their like la- in whatever language it was, I didn't know how to pronounce <laughs> it. So I was reading this joke, I'm like, I don't get it. What's the punchline? And I kind of imagine it's like that where the yeah. pronunciation isn't there, you're not quite sure like you can You kind of get the gist, but it's kind of like, oh, this is probably a lot funnier if I knew what you're talking about.
0: Right. Very specifically, it adds as an example here of uh, their thoughts that you could get across a normal idea, but you wouldn't be able to dictate a contract or a complex document if someone spoke a different language, which you could if you spoke the same language. But you could get across the meaning behind it, just maybe not the precise legalese of it. Which, yeah, I think I agree. Like, you could communicate, this is for land rights, you have this half, I have this half, whatever, but you wouldn't be able to say, you know, specifics of how it's worked. Right,
1: of like, the coordinates are... Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think it's that example that you gave is pretty precise in how I'm thinking, too. Like, you could... You can get gists of things of like, oh, I understand this is supposed to be a joke. Right. Or oh, I understand like, oh, I laugh here, but not exactly what they're trying to say. Yeah. Or that's, <laughs> I think it's also
1: like how um, second language or people who speak multiple language. So bilingual people sometimes in their mother tongue or in a new in the new language that they're learning, they learn a joke, but there's no direct translation. Like Mm -hmm, if you directly translate it, it doesn't make sense. sense, And so I wonder if there's a little bit of that too, where it's Mm -hmm. like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Harry. And thank you, Jonas for the continued conversation on that. It is an interesting topic. Emma does have um, a fascination with languages as well.
1: Yes, clearly. So so thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Also, Harry had a thought about how, about logbooks.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we did talk last chapter, I guess, about how the live ships need logbooks to be able to remember what happened to them. Right. And so Harry wants to know, could you falsify records in a logbook and give a live ship false memories?
0: So I want to kind of, I think we've had this discussion a little bit, it was a while ago probably, about logbooks. But I want to kind of, finalize it here. I think that logbooks do have attachment to Live Ship's memories. I don't think that they're some magical item, but since they're aware of usually the captain who is writing in the logbook as like a familial connection, they attach the captain or whoever writing in the logbook to what happened that day. It's just like, you know, some device to help remember some catalog for them to kind of keep things straight in their head because they are a very long-lived being. So they're not encyclopedias. They can forget things, they can lose things. And I think that logbook just helps categorize everything for them and just be able to be like, If someone's looking through it or if I remember, you know, this specific thing, I can picture the captain writing what happened that day and then I could picture it clearly, you know? Mm. Um, So in terms of false memories, I think that could happen. But it would be very specific circumstances with my line of thinking, at least. A false memory would have to be with somebody with like Paragon, for example, that you could plant a false memory by suggesting it to them. And like, no, we were there. I I was with you. We were sailing, whatever. Mm -hmm. But in the logbook specifically with the way that I think about them, I don't think it would happen through the logbook. I think it could happen through, you know, lying to them, but (laughs) not specifically. Gaslighting. Yeah. (laughs) But not specifically through the logbook with the way that I think of the logbook, at least.
1: That's fair. No, I... I like the idea of planting false memories through the logbook. I think that sounds like a kind of funny prank to pull. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, let's just change their memories real quick. I mean,
1: only if it was like lighthearted, not like, right, right. Yeah. Anyway, um, however, I still cannot wrap my head around how pieces of paper in a bound, assuming leather-bound book on deck is able to be read by the ship through osmosis just by having it in the captain's quarters, because I don't think the captain would write the log where the live ship could see them writing. Maybe they would because they have that relationship, but not while the voyage is going on. You wouldn't want your crew to stumble upon you writing. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how secretive these log books need to be to be fair, but it feels like one of those things that are kept under lock and key by the captain. So it feels like something that they're doing in the captain's quarters and then putting in a drawer. How's the live ship even know what it says? You know what I mean? So that if maybe if it was like a magic notebook made of the wood for the (laughs) cover somehow, I guess, but even then I just don't know.
0: Well, we don't. We only know how it works for Paragon because he's been without his for a long time, and I think this is just me. This is just my conjecture. I'm talking about this how I believe in the logbook. Again, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just my my theory on how it works. I think that on the Paragon, since he's been without his for so long, that's it. Also goes hand in hand with. Out being or without having a familial connection for so long mm. because the familial connection is the touchstone that links the logbook to the ship in okay. my theory right They're they're the ones looking through the logbook they're the ones adding to it they're the ones reading it and getting those thoughts of like oh this happened you know this and then and then the ship can dredge up that memory if they're connected you know all that sort of thing I believe I'm could be wrong on this but i believe when mother kennett's mother joins them and brings a log book she talks to paragon and goes through the book i think i okay. could be wrong on that and that's why he like starts to get a little bit like more of his memories back mm. because She's going through and like pointing at things and like right. not actually speaking, but she is family, you know, right. getting that connection. So with other ships and their lo- their logbooks, they've had a direct line of family connections. So I think that logbook is fresh in their mind. All these memories are fresh in their mind because even without the logbook, they are going from father to son to son. Or maybe it was grandmother great grandmother to son to (laughs) son to son, you know? Right. And I think those memories are much fresh in those minds because two generations could have shared some of the same memories. Okay. So for Paragon, it is, once again, he's a unique little sad boy (laughs) that has different experiences than other people. So I think without that logbook, that just touchstone of familiarity... And especially without his familial connection, it really messed up his memory.
1: Yeah. I guess I like the idea of the logbook mattering because it's the memory of the person they absorbed who wrote it. And so having it there, they can be like, oh, yeah, on this day I wrote this. Yeah. Which would maybe imply that you wouldn't be able to fake an entry. However. See,
0: that's why I said you couldn't. (laughs) But
1: you could. If you faked one and then died, and then your kids were reading the old logs, thought it was real, kept going, they die, yeah, and now it, there's a couple of generations that think it's real. You've true. now tricked, but that's a long con. That's I don't a very think,
0: long con. I
1: don't think you could like write in. Also, you ate three. Also, you ate three fish on this journey, even though you're a live ship, and just right. like sneak that in. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But thank you, Harry, for the thought experiment. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you guys have thoughts specifically on how you think logbooks work or if they work at all or if it's just a unique thing to Paragon, please let us know. I think it's an interesting topic, if very niche in this part. So, um, yeah, if you have if you have theories on how the memories of live ships work, please, please write in.
1: Yeah. And then finally, we are going to end with a message from Instagram or on Instagram from Hart. And
0: we, we got directly messaged by Instagram. If <laughs> we get
1: Instagram themselves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Instagram. Mr. Mr. Graham. <laughs>
1: Mr. Mr. Instagram. <laughs> yes.
0: But yeah, Degenhart wrote in. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Degenhardt. Um, we'll start with the easier topic first, which is um what we've been talking about a lot is Degenhardt's take on the skill communication, which is that spoken language doesn't have anything to to do with being able to skill communicate in Degenhardt's opinion. Thoughts don't need to be outspoken in your head. I, for example, almost never think in sentences, but more in pictures, sounds, smells, and feelings, which is very cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's different for people though, because there's some statistics, I don't remember off the top of my head, but like a certain percentage of people don't have inner monologues. And that means other people do. So I think people think differently in those sorts of things. Or like you were saying, bilingual people, I think they may think in a different language than they're speaking. Right. It's just a very unique, unique situation for the, this, you know, thought experiment, as you said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's really cool. It's, and it's, I guess I hadn't thought about the potential that There are people out there who don't think in words just because Mm -hmm. I think we all you everybody goes through that. If you've never heard of somebody else's point of view, it's like that doesn't exist until they tell you. So it's a really cool thing to think about. Oh, how would that work? Since I think in speaking, I guess I also think in images, but like more talking than images. So I really only think
0: in speech, if I'm purposely like narrating something in my head. Just as you know, random thing. I don't know. <laughs> Usually, I'm just thinking, Ugh. though. I don't know. I just M- don't. <laughs>
1: That's so, must be so nice. I, there's a constant radio chatter going on upstairs, and it
0: is <laughs> annoying. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I think that uh, Degenhart kind of fits into the uh, consensus that you would be able to talk to somebody of a different language yeah. through the skill, and you know, the degrees vary from person to person. I think I fall with Harry that it's more of general concepts mm-hmm. but uh i think the the agreement is that you can communicate
1: yeah so i'm glad that we all have that consensus even if it's different variations but love that we're all like no there's definitely communications happening across language barriers mm-hmm. uh, Dagenhart also had something really important to bring up that's a little bit more serious so i wanted to end on this note and that is about
0: well two things here.
1: oh yes i suppose <laughs> two things the first one is on Amber's withdrawal of love for Paragon. Dagenhart believes that that's very, a very bad parenting choice and rightly will get the best of them.
0: I do not agree with this. Maybe it's because I've, we've had the benefit of just reading this chapter and going <laughs> over it, and it seemed to be disciplining him. But I also disagree because it's not the withdrawal of love. It's mm-hmm. just establishing establishing some boundaries. You don't want to, I mean, again... Everyone listening, I am 30 years old. I am not a parent. I have not gone through tantrums of children and had to deal with that. So I will be speaking from my lack of knowledge there (laughs) and presuming on that. But you don't stop a child throwing tantrums by giving him a treat all the time. Right. You know, sometimes, yeah, sure. Whatever, you know, whatever you have to do sometimes, but (laughs) that's not, that shouldn't be your standard because then they'll just learn to keep doing it. And I think that's what they're going to with Paragon in this. It's just like, we have to establish some boundaries. So he has some sort of self-control over himself and knows that he can't just get everything cool at the end of the day, but also be horrible during it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really tough situation because Paragon needs structure and needs something to change because clearly, like, what is going on is not working. But it is really hard because it is hurting them. (laughs)
0: Look, if, if Paragon was on the beach and Amber had 10 years to work with Paragon, sure, doing this might be a little bit drastic in the first couple months. But they're planning on sailing with Paragon, and they need to make a drastic change now. It doesn't, in my eyes, it doesn't make me feel like Amber is withdrawing love. It's just if you're horrible to me, I won't be nice to you back. <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess. Okay, Janie. Um. Yeah, right, right, right. <sighs> it's hard. I, I also, I don't think, I don't feel like Amber is withholding love by saying, Hey, you've acted poorly, so I'm not going to hang out with you. I do feel like it is drastic and I do feel like it might not be the best way to go about it, but I do think it makes sense to try something new in this situation where clearly the other stuff hasn't been working. But I do think for Paragon's sake, there does need to be more stability. There does need to be more. Some patience. expectations. On- Ex- yeah. Giving the expectation ahead of time, not just yeah. cold turkey, like, oh, you were bad today. I'm not hanging out with you. There should have been like, hey, if you continue to do that, then mm-hmm. I'm not going to put up with that.
0: Did seem to work, though, in this chapter, at least. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll read more and Hart will be right that it will rightly get the best of them. But <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for that first thought there.
1: Yes. And then going on to the main point, I think, (laughs) Degenhardt is talking about how they felt about
0: Clef and Paragon's conversation.
1: When Clef said, you just choose to be happy. That's how you get over the hardships, basically.
0: And this is a very important conversation because I think both of us agreed with Clef there. That, yeah, yeah. You, you should just choose to be happier. And Degenhart brings up good points. Uh, I don't completely, I haven't completely switched my mind on this, but Degenhart says that just choose happiness is anything, it's not anything else but naive and rather unreflecting. Circumstances are always so much more important and weighty than mere choice. Sure, I can choose to be happy. But when I'm dirt poor, just lost my job, partner left me, don't know how I'm going to pay the rent, etc., etc. I could choose all I want, but nothing is going to change my circumstances, not even the brave face I'm making. Choosing happiness is something only the privileged can do, and we would all do well to reflect on that. Paragon, even though he's unnecessarily grumpy, is in the right here, I'd say.
1: I think that this is a really good point to bring forward that it isn't as simple as right. choosing happiness. Right. And I think that is really important that there are a lot of circumstances and Degenhardt also mentions like things like depression or ADHD can come up and affect how people feel. Like mm-hmm. there are chemical reactions in your brain that definitely. can mess with that. That is definitely things that can happen as well. And I do I do agree that it's it's not fully a choice. However, I do think you have to make the choice to want to work towards being happy. Right. Like, I don't think it's as simple as just, okay, I'm happy now. Like, I'm choosing to be happy. I'm going to mm-hmm. forget that I'm poor and don't have a job. Like, it's it's not that. It's,
0: I think that's what Clef was getting at, too, as well. Because, like he said, I could have been mad at all of them, but I chose to try yeah. in this life.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, to be fair, I think the way that it is phrased and how we talked about it last week did come across very like, surface. yeah, surface yeah. level, like, yeah, just choose to be happy. Mm-hmm. It's really good. That's fair. I, but I do want to say I, in my mind, choosing to be happy, isn't just flipping a switch. You're happy. It's done. Right. It's more, I'm choosing to move forward and trying to get happy, whatever that looks like. I'm going to start taking steps to be happy rather than sitting and wallowing.
0: And specifically for Paragon um, and his choice, because that's what the focus of that scene was. Right. And what Clef was bringing up. Paragon has been doing the opposite and choosing to be as angry and as upset as he possibly can be at everything. He's given into all of his base, darker emotions during that And that kind of fits in with what you were saying that never once has he chosen to try and improve. Right. He's pushed those opportunities away. And I think, yeah, maybe we didn't discuss it in the depth that we should have applied in that situation. But I think that in my reading, that's what Clef was getting at. Like, yeah. You have to make the effort, otherwise nothing is going to happen.
1: Right. And I do and I would agree, I think there's lots of points throughout. Paragon's story specifically where he could choose to give trust or Mm -hmm. to not give in to the anger or to understand. And he childishly backpedals into that safety of anger and fear and untrusting, Mm -hmm. which it's a safety thing, right? Like it feels safer to be the enemy and make them your enemy because you know what that is versus going into the unknown of trusting somebody that is scary and a choice that you have to make and i think that's more of what mm-hmm. i i wholeheartedly believe that you it's i think it's like saying you can't force somebody to get better like whenever you know somebody that is going through a hard time um even as simple as a friend going through a a, a weird relationship like you can't force them to see your side of the a coin or force them to be like, oh, that person's really bad for you. You can just tell them how you feel and hope that they want to make a change. But yeah, I think, I don't know. So it's good. I'm really glad that you have brought this up, Degenhardt, because I think it is really important to give a little bit more of that in depth. And again, I don't want to pretend we are not professionals. <laughs> of like We're not therapists. We're not I don't but know, you don't have to be people.
0: to speak on this. No, right? no, but yeah. I don't,
1: I don't want to, I'm not coming from a place of, um, I'm a professional and I Rice. know things. I'm just,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, but I do think it is important to make sure that that's clear that mm-hmm. if somebody's out there listening to this podcast, like, oh man, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't just choose to be happy. I can't just make it go like all the bad stuff go away. Like that is
0: not right. Yeah. I'm, I'm. Mostly just talking about the characters in this book. And yes, you can apply it to your own life, but not with my, you know, blessing, because I'm not the one speaking for you, please. Like, <laughs> don't let me speak for you. Um, if this helps you, great. But don't, uh, yeah, don't take our words as <laughs> as sacred or, yes, you not. know, the right thing to to speak on. Yeah.
1: Maybe talk to a mental um, health professional. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But uh, in terms of Paragon, we, we kind of see that improvement in this chapter. We see him choose to be vulnerable, to open up to Amber a bit here, to put out his insecurities. And yeah, he he swallows back his anger, but he does want to fall back into it. But it doesn't let that scare him from continuing the conversation. Right. Uh, and, and he does push for something and sees improvement in that communication there. So while Clef is a 12year- old boy who went through a lot of hardship and isn't formally educated and has an odd written out accent, <laughs> he spoke some wisdom in saying "Choose happiness." and it may it may sound very surface level, especially in the first time we discussed it, but I truly believe that it is the right. ...way to phrase things from a 12-year-old's perspective.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> It'd be a little bit weirder if and was- Yeah, I, I, I do apologize for speaking on, like, that surface level during that episode, but I truly, truly believe with what we're discussing here is what I got out of the reading the first time um, and what Robin Hobb was kind of getting at as a lesson for Paragon, that while you can't just decide to smile and everything's better you can decide to try and smile more and help yourself um, try to get better. And of course, like you brought up circumstances might make that impossible for some people, but for Paragon, he has, he had to try, right? He had to be willing to extend the hand that, and and reach towards the people that were reaching at him. Yeah. In real life, you know, things come up, but this, this story with Paragon specifically He really needed to hear that and take it to heart. And I think it helped a bit.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, too, is trying doesn't mean or just choosing happiness, deciding that you're going to try to be happy doesn't mean that it works right away or that every single day it's better and you're looking happier.
0: Althea was talking about crew abandoning because some (laughs) days he's wailing into his hands or... Some days he's just repeatedly reciting a body poem and people are like, Ooh, things are bad here. Let's let me run away. Right. It's, but some days are, are, he's okay. You know? Yeah. You just have to take (laughs) the good with the bad and march on. Yes. it is a
1: very slow process, but thank you for bringing it up because I do think it was important to touch on that a little bit more deeply and to make sure. It's a very important
0: topic, especially for a lot of the characters in this book. Yes. Yeah. Because some of them, are dwelling on the worst right you know
1: which fair enough a lot of the stuff that's happening oh, yeah. to them
0: i cannot even these imagine books what are I, would awful. Do. I would not want to be in these books at all people <laughs> sometimes I, ask like you wanted to go to any fictional world where do you want to go or you know the last fantasy book you read you're in that world would you live no no, <laughs> <laughs> no i would not
1: i would not survive because i could not keep up with these conditions
0: <laughs> i would try to sail to where the fool came from And then never leave those green pastures.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it'd be really hard to get there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would. would.
1: You could probably make it as some nobody in the middle of
0: Bingtown or no, Buckkeep. Bingtown would be better probably. Because Because they're a little bit
1: more sophisticated.
0: Well, yeah. And it's a little bit richer as well. True. Six touches. you have to work real hard. But
1: Bingtown, you may become a slave if you're poor. So... True true i'd prefer not to risk slavery <laughs> i'm going to a place where it's illegal <laughs>
0: uh, but yes thank you so much Hart. that it was a good topic to bring up
1: yes so thank you so much and thank you to everybody who wrote in as always we appreciate hearing from you guys mm-hmm. whether it's a silly or serious topic and we're always happy to discuss see you next week